All right, so we're looking at Acts 2 today, and, um, and I want to begin by asking a question. What makes us sing? What makes our heart joyful? Uh, I have five children that are all adults now, the youngest being 20 and the oldest 33, and seven grandchildren, and watch four of them get together with other fine young Christian folk and get married, but when they found their uh, prospective partner, I noticed what they did was they always, uh, they're, they're musical, uh, the, my children, uh, they're like their mother, they're not, they're not like me. Uh, but one thing, they, they play piano and guitars and they, they can sing a little bit. And one thing I noticed is that when they found uh, this person that they thought they might be marrying one day, they would uh, just spontaneously uh, migrate to the lounge room and play and sing. That's what they did. Uh, their hearts were full of joy. And interestingly, they wouldn't sing songs off the radio. They would sing songs of joy, praise songs from church. They would play them and just sing them alone. And we'd be sitting in the other end of the house listening with great delight. So, so I ask you, what, what makes us joyful today? Augustine says that you'll never give yourself to anything that does not delight your heart. God has actually made us to be delighted and to be gripped by something quite wonderful. That's exactly what's going on in this passage, Acts 2. Um, we're going to point out, just uh, sort of dig out one little thing in here that we're going to look at today and just expand on that. But, but before we get there, you notice um, uh, Paul writes in Ephesians and he says, um, they're not, uh, Ephesians 5.17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. That's where our reading from Acts was Pentecost, of course. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your heart, giving thanks always, for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and so forth. So if we were to understand what Christian worship is, I mean by that, the gathering of God's people to worship, to serve God, we could say there are elements such as there's prophetic elements, we, uh, we prophesy, but that means simply we speak out God's word in our services and, our, and we pray and we have sacraments, we um, share the Lord's Supper, we fellowship one another, all of those sorts of things. But one of the elements, um, and they're all important and we could look at all of those, but one of the elements is uh, that we need to consider in our understanding of what it means to gather is this whole business of God gathering his people to sing and to express his joy to each other and to the whole world. I don't know if you have cottoned onto that in the scriptures. One of the functions of God's people is to sing over not only to each other but in, to the entire world uh, the joy of God uh, there who is in heaven and who has come to live with us. So, that's, um, so how do we see God? Let's just ask that question. Uh, do we see God as merely a great divine problem solver for us? Like a cosmic butler that we call on when we've got a bit of trouble? 
Or do we see Jesus as a kind of a lifestyle coach, just to get us through, you know, be good disciples or whatever? Uh, but there's a lot more to it than all of that, even though uh, God would listen to our prayers of need. There's plenty of scriptures that talk about that. And Jesus does is indeed our Lord, and he, we are his disciples, and we are to train. Uh, we're in a kind of a boot camp, that's true. Uh, but it's much more wonderful than just all of that. What makes all of those things joyful? Perhaps that's the way we should look at it. So in Acts, let's go back to Acts. Um, this is 50 days after Passover. Um, all the events of the cross and the resurrection have, have happened. And the small group are there. Um, Jesus has taught them for 40 days on the kingdom of God. And, and the spirit has just been poured out with tongues of fire from heaven. And... Uh, this Peter is who's speaking these words was the same Peter who's just a month and a half ago denied his saviour publicly. So he's standing up now, full of the Spirit, prophesying and proclaiming the kingdom of God, the Lordship of Christ. Um, so his heart has changed. And then these... Um, People who have come in from all around the world to, uh, to Jerusalem have heard this message and they're no different from the crowds who were around Jesus who cried out, crucify him, crucify him. We're all the same. And it says, and Luke says, they were cut to the heart. Something got to them. I mean, how do you... And, and then they, they repented and they got baptised. So how does a person change? I mean, have you ever tried to change your spouse? Not, not a good idea. Uh, just love your spouse is the, is the way, by the way. Um, but Paul says the human, your repentance, of course, is a change of mind. It's metanoia to uh, meta, change, noia, nous, mind, so to have a mind change and a complete reversal of thinking. So how does a human being change their mind? Because Paul says that the mind of the flesh, those who are not in the spirit, uh, the mind is hostile to God. And elsewhere he says the human mind is depraved. That might explain some of the thoughts that come into our heads some, from time to time. Uh, if, I, if I were to put all of our thoughts on the screen, and we all publicly, uh, would we enjoy that process? Probably not. So the human mind is hostile and it's depraved. So how do you change a hostile and depraved mind? Um, well, one, one of the, in the mix, uh, we've talked about this, Peter has stood up in this passage and he has explained what has happened. The spirit has been poured out and the significance of what the spirit is saying to the world is that this Jesus who was born in Nazareth, he walked around doing all these signs and wonders. This Jesus is the Lord and the Christ. They were prophet that were promised that was promised in the Old Testament in the, for the prophets, and so that's that's incredible in itself. So that that's a bit of a, a mind blower in itself. Um, but you know, I could try and convince you that who Jesus is today, and I could give you a very good rational argument. You know the the. 
I could give you an evidence-based argument as to why we should believe in Christ. They're very in incredibly brilliant uh, scientists and philosophers around the world that are apologists, Christians, and they defend the fact that the Christian, and that, that's an important part of the whole thing, that they say the Christian faith is actually evidence-based. There were 500 people who witnessed and they saw and experienced and they met the risen Lord Jesus. His body was raised from the dead by God and he walked around and they, we have four gospel accounts. We have an embarrassment of material to explain who Jesus is. But you see, that might not change your heart. You might be... you. This is the question, you see. I might rationally get you somewhere and you might actually, well, I'll tick the box on that and I'll join this group because it seems to be the best evidence-based group of people. So what, what, what is the Spirit doing here? And so Peter is doing that and that has to be the basis of our faith, this, this historical, factual, evidence-based nature because you can't just believe from... A philosophy or out of nothing. Uh, so what changed them? Remember Jesus said that um, uh, that uh, people would not even be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Jesus said that. So you might convince someone that Jesus rose from the dead but you might, but it won't it might not it might not touch their hearts. you see they were cut to the heart at Pentecost. It goes on to say. And um, so we have this incredible event here that we're reading about. And one thing that is going on here that is crucial with all of those other things that we've talked about, um, we could talk about the sovereignty of God and leading Jesus to the cross. We could talk of all kinds of things. But one thing is that uh, the Spirit reveals, in this event, he reveals the internal, the internal joy of heaven. And for the first time, a whole group of people, the prophets and the Spirit-filled leaders of the Old Covenant saw this, the prophets in particular, but now the whole community saw it. And you see... The important thing is here is that Peter quotes from Psalm 16, verses 8 to 11. Now I'll just read that through uh, verse 24. God raised him up, loosening, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him um, uh, to be held by it. For David said concerning him, I saw, now this is the quote from Psalm, we're in verse 25 of Acts chapter 2. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness, joy, with your presence. So what is, what is the thing of great joy here? Firstly, that God had raised Jesus from the dead. A dead man had been, had been raised. And not only that, he was raised to incorruptibility. So this is not just like Lazarus. This is a, a resurrection of a man who would never die again. And this man, this human being, 
uh, this glorified human being will live forever as a man, as a body, in the presence of God forever. Now that's a thing of great joy, isn't it? Isn't that a start? All right. Now that that I'm getting to the to the centre where I want to get to today, but that's a great joy. You know, if you're a believer in Christ, you're incorruptible. Jesus said, "If you die, you'll never die." So you're incorruptible. You don't even see people see our death, who are watching us die. But we, when we die, we don't even see our death. We don't die. That's what Jesus is saying. So that's a great thing of joy. So walk out of this place today incorruptible, all right? Uh, but you see, what I want to talk about now is what's going on is, is, is what's, why is Peter quoting this psalm? There's another important thing in here. And what it shows is that it shows Christ, the Son, singing to the church about his father in the first part of that quotation and then he moves he turns to his father and he sings to the father all right so remember this is a psalm this is the great hymn book of the old testament a bit like you know if i was quoting from a song or a hymn you know if, you, if i were to quote from a song You'd, the tune would come into your head, wouldn't it? And you'd start singing it. Well, that's exactly what these Israelites would have been doing. They would have been hearing this psalm and the tune would have been coming through. The song would have been coming through to them. So the joy would have been sort of impacting their hearts. The love of God would have been opening up in that way. And remember, if you go back to the temple in the Old Testament, uh, David set up guilds of priests you read in 1 Chronicles um, 16 and 25, he set up priests and uh, great numbers of those priests were choral singers and uh, the other group of, of priests were to play instruments and David actually created instruments in the temple. So you'd go into the temple There'd be sacrifices. The choir would be singing. These are professional, if you like. They're ministerial priests singing, some with instruments and some singing. So there was great singing and great joy. And the great theme would come through. The Lord is good and his love endures forever is the great theme that was coming out of the temple. And that was for the whole of the, of the world, by the way. The nations. You see, no other... No other nation in the old covenant had this joy and this song that israel had so they were cleansed and they weren't cleansed just to make them right or for god to fix a problem even though he did all of that he god cleansed israel so that they could experience and know his presence and in knowing his presence they would know his joy and then they would share in the song that was coming out of the heavens that all the angels sang with God. All right, so when we sing together on a church, we're singing, like it says in Hebrews, with all the angels and all the cosmic beings, we join around the throne and there's a great song. All right, so this is the beginning of the church. And so it's not just these ministerial people that are ministering to the churches in song and 
prophecy and all the rest of it. The whole church now in Acts, it's filled with the Spirit, is the prophetic community. Uh, that is, they, everyone in the church knows the Word of God and is filled with the Spirit and can prophesy and speak God's Word. But the thing is, the whole community now joins as the great choir on earth. So you read in Revelation, in the book of Revelation, you see the church joining around the throne with the Father on his throne and the Lamb, and they join with all the celestial beings and they sing songs uh, from around the throne into the cosmos, into the world, seen and unseen. So that's what we're doing on the throne. Part of what we're doing is singing the great songs. So at the end of the book of Revelation, uh, they sing the song of Moses and they sing the song of the Lamb. That's a great picture, isn't it? So uh, we might feel a little bit frumpy and short of it on Sunday mornings, but that's what's going on. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. So God is, was always empowering Israel to... Uh, to come to him. So back to back to um, in Psalm 16 in Acts 2. Um, remember just a few little technical things. Remember he quotes and he says, um, for David says, he says, so he quotes from the Psalms and then afterward he says David was a prophet. And he wasn't really talking about himself. He was talking about the words of Christ because David died and he's in the tomb so the words that he's speaking can't be his own they are the words actually Peter saying they are the words of the risen and ascended Lord Jesus the man who has been put at the right hand of God and he back then is singing in that psalm what the son is singing with the congregation before the Father. So let's look at it a little bit. So if you remember, a prophet in the Old Testament was one of the few people, there was only one, really, one person in the Old Covenant who could join and see the throne and the divine assembly. And that was the prophet. He, he, he saw the worship around the throne and God gave him his word and he would prophesy unto Israel. So uh, Psalm 18 sort of explains that if you want to go look at it later. Uh, David's this great prophet. And he speaks the word of God and he sings. So David being the, the great musician, he, be, he becomes the great king who's the great musical leader, tradition of the church and is fulfilled in Christ. So Christ now take, is the new David and he takes up this mantle of, of teaching uh, in a world of misery and violence and destruction where God's judgments are being poured out over the entire globe as we speak, as it was then, as it is today, amongst all of that, in Christ and by the power of the Spirit, the church joins spiritually and uh, physically as we gather and the manifestation of this heavenly joy is given out to the world. And so David... Um, David sings, and you see just the technicalities of saying it. So, I saw the Lord always before me. So, you notice how he's speaking. This is, see, so 
Peter is saying, this is the Lord Jesus speaking. Back then through David. So now this is all happening. So this is all opening up. And you see, in the first phrase, in the first part of this quotation, Jesus is singing. He's not singing and praising God directly. He's praising. He's singing about God to the church. So remember, what I'm trying to get through is that if you don't understand, if you today, when Christ speaks to us, he just doesn't come and give us rational philosophy and logic about the way things are. That's part of it, yes. He, he comes to, to us personally and as a church and he sings to us. You see, what's he singing? I saw the Lord always before me. So he's saying, I saw my Father who lives in my presence forever. And that was a great joy to him, that he lived and lives in the presence of his Father for eternity. And he sings that truth over the church. For he's at my right hand that I may not be shaken. So you can't separate this eternal risen Son who is now the man at the right hand of the Father. You cannot unshackle him from uh, the, the life of God. So there's a man at the right hand of God. And uh, so that means that humanity now in Christ is being secured at the right hand of the Father forever. So there's great eternal hope and joy in all of that. Therefore, my heart, you notice what he says, the verse 26, therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. So in other words, I sing. He's full of joy about this. What makes you joyful today? Is it the fact that that Christ has sung his song of gospel joy over you and told you that you'll never die and that the Father is with you and just as Christ cannot be separated, just as Jesus is singing and rejoicing over the fact that he can never be separated from his Father forever, we will never be separated if we're in him from the Father can you hear those song, those words and that song coming and flowing over you today? Verse 27, For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. Alright, so notice there in verse 27, Jesus switches from singing to the congregation and now he turns to the Father and he goes to the second person. And he says, for you. And so he sings to his father, you will not abandon my soul to Hades. Or let your Holy One secret, you, my father, have made known to me the paths of life. You will make uh, me full of, of gladness in your presence. So there's a promise that the great joy of the Father. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you see God? Let's get back to God the Father. If you read this text very carefully, uh, God did mighty works. This is God the Father. God did mighty works through Jesus. God raised Jesus from the dead. 
God has appointed him to be Lord and Christ, the Messiah, the ascended Lord, and so forth. God has sworn an oath. God the Father, verse uh, 32, this Jesus God raised up, and so forth. So there's a movement, you see, when you believe, you, you, the, the Son, the Spirit opens all this up to us, the Son sings over us, we join into the song of the Lamb, as we read in Revelation, the song of the Lamb is the one that sings over us. Then he turns and he leads us to sing to the Father. And that's what we do, don't we? Every Sunday. Or we do it alone. When my children fall in love, they sing to the Father on the piano in the lounge room alone. But however, but that's what we, that's where we end up as Christians. We end up singing to the Father. And so uh, I'll just read you a couple of verses. Uh, one is in Romans. I'll just uh, Romans 15 uh, if you want to just follow that through. Romans 15, 5 to 13. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And verse 10, and again it says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. So in verse 9 there, therefore you see Paul's doing the same thing as Peter. He's saying the psalmist, David, is actually singing the words of Christ back then as a prophet, you see. And so we can hear that now as the word of Christ. And what is Jesus saying? This is Jesus. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. So what does the Lord Jesus do? He gathers with Israel all the Gentiles and he teaches he sings over them in the gospel and then he teaches the Gentiles to come in and join the choir and sing to God. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? And the Lord Jesus is our choir master. He's the leader. He's the, he's the new David back that we read in Chronicles. In the new covenant, the greater David has come. And another one, Hebrews 10. Just, just, just a... Don't think I'm making all this up. Hebrews, proof texting. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 10. Um, for it was fitting that he, that's Christ, for whom, uh, uh, God that is, talking about God there, uh, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one origin. That is, why, that is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. So the same thing again. You see, the writer of the Hebrews is saying, the psalmist is actually singing the words of the risen and ascended Lord Jesus. 
And he says, I will tell of your name. He says, I will, I will glorify my Father amongst the church. And you will learn, as Christ has been the great leader of praise in the world, you will learn to come with me to praise the Father on the throne. And the Father is just gloriously wonderful on his throne and Christ is with him there, but he leads us to the Father. And if you notice, you know, uh, the writer of the Hebrews says, why, why, you know, if you come to the throne of grace, you will receive mercy and find grace for your time of need. So we can have this access. We, ha we have this incredible access to go to God, to pray to him, to speak the word truthfully to him, but we also have this great uh, access to go to him and sing to him. You know, so our songs in the church are endless, aren't they? It's, have you ever thought about how many songs are written, how they just keep coming? You think all the tunes are going to run out? You ever thought like that? I think, yeah, well, something about music and songs. Uh, Now this is Krishna, he says, now there are apparently 82.5 quadrillion possible melodies that are 10 notes long. I don't know what they will all sound like, but it would take billions of years for me to listen and grade them. We keep writing music, we, uh, won't we run out of it? No, for not only are there endless variety of 10 note sequences, if you throw in the element of duration of notes, including syncopation, the possibilities, possibilities expand to what humanly speaking is endless. If you layer a simple melody with harmonies, those can vary the character of the music greatly. It seems an endless font of possibilities. So this great praise song, that originates with the throne. There's something about music and praise that touches your heart. And let me say this, it is the joy of God, the eternal joy. You know, God is joyful in his giving of his grace to us. He does it freely, he does it joyfully. God loves joyfully to forgive sinners and accepts us and we join in the praise and we join into ministry in that way all right so christ has brought heaven to earth and uh david said write a new song my son's writing songs at the moment he's written a whole heap of songs and i've never heard the tunes before and i don't know where where he gets them but he writes songs so let us join let us understand today. I just want us to, to, to understand that we join. In John's Gospel, Jesus talks about the Father, talks about the Father glorifying the Son or praising the Son, if you like. The Son praising the Father, glorifying the Father, Holy Spirit glorifying the Father and the Son. The Father and the Son are glorified, glorifying the Holy Spirit. So we join in this great Trinitarian life of joy when we come to Christ. And Jesus at Pentecost, as the Spirit fills us and opens our hearts, we enter into something that's quite wonderful. So the Church of the Spirit is the prophetic community. But it is 
a prophetic choir that sings the word ultimately across the entire cosmos. And as we sing together the truth and the prophetic word of God, as we sing that together, uh, the world can see the great joy and the great uh, heart of God and his love for his entire world. Amen.